Talking Animals, I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Scott Hardy, co-founder of Hardy Hayes Refuge, a small mom-and-pop rescue and rehab operation with huge ambitions and accomplishments to match. Christine Hardy Hayes is the mom half of the deal, by the way. Headquartered at an 8.5-acre spread in Bastrop, Texas, just outside of Boston, Hardy Hayes fosters dogs contending with various challenges, including animals with medical problems, as well as victims of cruelty, getting them fully treated, spayed or neutered, vaccinated, rehabilitated, whatever's necessary to prepare them to wind up in their forever home. We'll hear about how Hardy Hayes Refuge got started, how they carved out their distinctive niche in animal welfare, some equally distinctive ways that the operation is funded, although it is a 501c3 that welcomes donations, and more when I speak with Scott Hardy in a few moments here on Talking Animals. Now, full disclosure, my wife and I know Scott for years through the comedy world. Later in today's show, the Comedy Corner will feature a new piece by John Mulaney. And if we have time, we may also play a new animal song, or a new version at least, of an old animal song, sung by a storied rock singer, too, actually. Lastly, a program, you know, next Wednesday I'll present the Talking Animals annual Christmas animal song special featuring holiday animal songs, new and old. And that, as always, will include yet another reading of the Dorothy Strauss Christmas message. So that's next Wednesday on Talking Animals. Meanwhile, let's get to Scott with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Scott Hardy on Talking Animals. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals today. You'll never believe where I am right now. Uh, well, I guess I should ask then. I'm outside a fire station. I'm in complete bunker gear. And uh, hopefully a tone will drop and I won't have to be like uh, Superman and then leave. <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess we should explain that the reference there is that uh, among the many hats that Scott wears, he is also a fireman uh, EMT in uh, at Bastrop, uh, Texas, is just outside the fire station on his cell to do this interview. So. <laughs> So happy to be here, man. Cool. And it, you know, it's incredible. I was trying to think about my journey here, you know, to, to where we are now with Hardy Hayes Refuge. And, and I realized, you know, it kind of started, I had a pet supply store in New York City in Queens, New York, and it's still there. It's called Wagging Tails. And um, here's a little shout out. And um, I sold it after 9-11 because I was just sort of done. You know, I was, I was like, I remember a really nice place called Austin, Texas that I visited years ago. And well, and and I moved there, and uh, you know, it was you and Colleen that inspired me to check out the Austin Zoo, and this really started every the, the experiences that I had there. Uh, there, there, there was a shift. It was a life changing shift, 
always loved dogs, always loved animals, always felt connected to them, but never, I would meet these people and I would like in my pet supply store and I go, Oh, they're kind of nutty. They're, 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 they're crazy animal people. Well, I, I, apparently I've, I've crossed the bridge. I'm a crazy animal person now. All right. Well, let's back up because you're handling both sides of the interview very adeptly, of course, but uh, <laughs> I haven't even asked a question yet. We're already five minutes in. But uh, anyway, so, so no, no, that's great because uh, this is some of the very stuff I did want to explore with you, but maybe at a little bit slower pace just to make sure we don't leave anything out. So again, just for people listening, Hardy Hayes Refuge is a small but uh, mighty rescue rehab operation. I'd like it to a mom and pop thing just chiefly to draw attention to that it's small it's just you and your wife christine but the ambitions and the accomplishments are actually sizable so it's kind of mom and pop in the most favorable sense so we'll come back to more about hardy hayes in a sec and discuss more what goes on day to day there but even i guess as you've touched on wagon tails etc when did animals first become important to you because again no one just opens a, a store like that and say, okay, now I'm going to develop an interest in animals. So obviously it must have preceded that by some time. It's a slow process. Um, it goes back to age five. You know, we had a beagle. His name was Hound Dog. And I knew that I knew that animals had feelings. You know, mom, my mom had told me that, that they're, they're, they're just like us. They have feelings. They have emotions. They, but um, I had, uh, it, it, it sounds terrible, but I was, I was five, but I remember this vividly. Um, there was a locust, and I found a locust, and I, I thought it would be great to put a string on it to, like, as a pet, and then I could, you know, walk it, and, and then even if it flew, then I'd be able to, to keep this locust, and it got tangled up in the wing, and my mom came out, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I, I have this pet locust, and she's like, honey, that, that's hurting that animal. That's not good, this insect. So she she's unraveling the thread, and I remember seeing a drop hit the white concrete of our stoop, and I thought it was bleeding because I saw that fluid. But I looked up, and my mom was crying, and she was crying empathetically because she was probably wondering, like, oh, how's he going to turn out? Here he is you know, <laughs> trying to you know, putting string on locusts. And, and, it, and it really it, it affected me greatly. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't harm a single animal after that, not, not, a, you know, not a fly. I can't. It's just after that, I, I kind of got maybe I'm overly sensitive about it, but the, 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 that was the first shift that occurred at age five, believe it or not. And at that point with the locust on the string, was the beagle already in the household or was this pre-beagle? The beagle's already in the household. Okay. That was, yeah, hound dog. So you were just sort of duplicating, I guess, what you'd seen with the beagle. Hey, the beagle has a leash and they go right. for walks and these things happen. So why not the locust? I, I guess I'm... Right. Yeah. 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 And I'm, of course, I'm mortified, but, you know, but... It's also it's a part of our learning. You know, we have to we have to empathy is learned. Yeah. Right. And also, I think a lot of little kids have a locust, a grasshopper, some other kind of story. Obviously, uh, depending on where you live or grow up, ants yeah. are a big thing. So there's a lot of overlap, I think, and especially with people who did go on to become animal lovers and, and helpers yeah. and rescuers. So here's the thing, though. You had that sort of pivotal locust experience. From How did you get from there with the beagle, et cetera, to, to opening the wagon tail? There must have been a fair amount of animal action between those two points. You know, uh, honestly, you know, when I, when I opened wagon tails, I was looking at it as uh, probably uh, 80% financial motivation and maybe 20% animal passion. You know, I was looking at it more from a business because, of course, I'm going to put a lot of money on the line and, and uh, you know, is uh, you know, it's always risky opening up your own business. And um, But then as I started to connect with my customers, I realized, like, I love cats. I've had cats my whole life and dogs my whole life. But, like, 
I'm like, they're, they're into something, they're deeper. They are, I'm looking in their eyes and I'm listening to their stories and, and how they're connecting with their animals was, was even deeper than how I was connecting. And, um, and, and so I didn't feel jealous and I didn't, but I also didn't feel necessarily ambitious. I just thought it is what it is. Here's how my level of commitment and connection and theirs is, is, is seemingly from the emotional standpoint and seemingly deeper. And uh, and then another shift occurred. And then in the wake of that shift, where were you? Then uh, it brings us to Austin, and and uh, you know that, as you know that that Austin Zoo is not a zoo. The word zoo is there so the so the school buses will show up. It's a sanctuary. They're all they're all animals that were former laboratory research. They were poor pet choices. Uh, some were confiscated by uh, by sheriffs and other authorities because of abuse. And and now they get to live in this this, this wonderful place that, that you guys unwittingly bamboozled me into just by that you and Colleen just saying you need to visit this place it's special and um, it's it's odd because you know I just didn't start working <laughs> just I visited and then something unusual happened. I think everybody's on the edge of their seat to, to know what that is. But before you fill us in on what happened, let's just talk a little bit more about, as you kind of touched on, I mean, the Austin Zoo is not a zoo in the conventional sense, not by quite a stretch. So maybe you could describe a, a little bit more about what it is, what its mission is, and and then bring us back up to the, the thing that happened. Well, again, every animal there is, uh, they, they, they've taken uh, cases of abuse, Essentially, uh, well, there, even in the case of the capuchins that came to us uh, uh, years back, I was there when, when, when they arrived, and they were from an Oregon research, medical research facility. And um, they were, uh, wow, they, they, were, they physically were, were doing okay. Um, you know, two years of college biology was my experience at this point, but I was already interacting and already connecting with the primates when I started working there. But um, they were emotionally, uh, you know, you hear the thousand-yard stare where you just, you, you look into an animal's eyes and you know they've seen yeah. things that, that aren't good, that are hard, and they've had, to, they've had to retreat into some very deep spots into their mind and their, their spirit in order to maintain. And uh, six months later to see the change in them and uh, just by having consistent uh, care and trust and nothing bad was happening to them on a, on a periodic basis. You know, and there, was, there was no more testing. And then some of these animals were, uh, some of these capuchins were um, 18, 20 years old, as, you know, really getting into the senior. And uh, really just to, to witness that transformation, to witness, uh, uh, there were many things that happened there, but... Um, but to witness that metamorph- metamorphosis of uh, to see the spirit return, incredible! Just so it's so inspiring. Yeah, well, I guess especially as, as we talked about in other uh, scenarios on, on the show a number of times, when animals, primates in particular, I guess most commonly, come out of a of a research testing kind of situation. For many of them, and it sounds like that's what you're kind of describing here, when they are sprung, if they're lucky enough to be sprung, when they land at a sanctuary, or in this case a so-called zoo, but it's really a sanctuary as we've addressed, I mean, it's often their first time being outdoors. It's often their first time feeling grass or natural ground under their feet. I mean, and yeah. to, to watch those things, a lot of times I've only been able to see it on video, but, uh, but it's just what you've just described about just the way their expression is and... Uh, the metamorphosis is is profound. You know, I didn't tell you. Oh, I didn't tell you how I started working there. 
Right. You know, no, I, I thought I thought you were saving that for a yeah. big payoff of some kind. <laughs> Here's how I started working there. Um, for your suggestion, Colleen's suggestion, I, I check it out. I was like, wow, this place is incredible. And it really is special. And I, I got to know uh, Cindy, the director at the time. And I would just come in just regularly and, uh, you know, donate and support. And just, um, she was distraught. She was on the phone uh, and, uh, at the front desk there. And she's like, ah. she goes, I, I need to hire a keeper. Do you know anyone qualified, Scott? And I go, oh, yeah. I know a guy. Uh, you know, he's, and she goes, does he have, what, what, what levels of experience does he have? I said, well, he's got a lot of canine and, you know, domestic feline, there's not a lot of exotics. There's some, you have some hoof stock experience. Uh, he does have two years of college biology. Um, and she goes, well, what's his name? And my middle name is Kenneth. So I just said, uh, Kenneth. And she goes, well, give me his number. So I gave her my number, my cell number. She goes, I'm going to call him right now. I went, yeah, great. And so she's calling, and she doesn't realize my phone is ringing. So I step outside, and she's like, uh, hi, uh, Kenneth. My name is Cindy. I'm the director at the Austin Zoo. And I was, uh, you were recommended by Scott Hardy, and I was just wondering if you might be willing to come in for an interview. And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm walking in the front door right now. And I open the door, and she looks at me, and she just goes, <sighs> she slams the phone down, and she goes, I'm serious. I need help here. I go, I'm serious. I'd love to work here. And I got hired that day. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, you know one way to do it for sure. So, and of course, as we'll as we'll cover later, that doing things on the phone is one one person or character or another is sort of a running uh, through line. But uh, but let me uh, let folks know who just might be tuning in. This is talking and I'm some Duncan shows. If you did just tune in, my guest is Scott Hardy, co-founder of Hardy Hayes Refuge, a uh, rather specialized rescue and rehab operation based in Bastrop, Texas, just outside of Austin. If you'd like to ask Scott a question or offer a comment, please. Call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. You got the, the sanctioned bamboozling there of the director, and you started that, got hired that day. So then, what happened? How were you there, and what were your, how long were you there, I mean to say, and, and how, what were your duties, really? You know, I, um, yeah, you, all, most of the keepers at the time worked all areas, but if you found that you had a either a passion in a particular area or if the animals responded well to your energy because it, it's all, especially with our, our primate friends, it's all about the energy and the vibe. And um, I just, I, I, uh, I connected very well with, with, our, with our monkeys, uh, with our capuchins, with the colobus and the potus monkeys. I just, they just, uh, we seem to get each other from the beginning. And, um, but I also, within my area, I had uh, wolf hybrids and I'd never worked with, uh, with wolf hybrids, although just, you know, lots of canine experience, but never, never the more of the wolf family. And Scott, sorry to interrupt for just one second for people listening who may not be familiar. Can you just sort of briefly explain what a wolf hybrid is? Um, a wolf hybrid is the it's it's really more wolf than dog. <laughs> That's the only way that I can really explain it. But there is some mixture, hence the yeah. hybrid term, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Supposedly, you know, there's more. There's there's been integration between domestic canine and wolf and um and you know when you look at this animal you you're you're seeing wolf and uh and when they when they feed they're very wolfy <laughs> you know there there's various levels of of of, of uh, interaction that we could have with controlled contact and there was a specifically a, a wolf hybrid named kayla that we were allowed full contact with she was very very agreeable although again in feeding time it's all business and you you keep a safe distance. Um, something happened with Kayla that, that, that I have to tell you about. It, it, um, 
she had a Duclaw that was infected, and uh, a vet, she had been transported to a vet, and, and it actually had to be removed. And so the Duclaw had been removed, and I came in, and Cindy, the director, had some gauze around her hand, and I said, oh, what happened? Something, something got you. And she goes, uh, actually, yeah, Kayla. I went, Kayla? And she goes, yeah, I was trying to change the bandage this morning. And she took exception to that, and uh, she got my hand. And I was like, wow. I go, well, I'm, I'm in with her on a daily basis. Do you want me to give it a shot? The, there's two things I want to address. One, the communication that goes on between the animals. And two, it's important to not believe your own hype. Believing your own hype is the gateway drug to insanity. Believing your own hype is when you... Especially you know, when you're dealing with caring for animals, I assume you mean. Right? Yes, right. Yeah. because what happens is you have these, you think, you think you know all capuchins because you know these capuchins, but each is an individual relationship, just like with people. And, you know, um, so I didn't want to be presumptuous because I'd already learned some lessons. And, uh, but um, I went in to, to change the bandage or to attempt to change the bandage with Kayla, and she'd allow me to tug at it. But with my right hand, I was starting to remove the sort of stretchy wrap around there. And with my left hand, she gently placed her mouth, her mouth, <laughs> this is a couple of thousand pounds of pressure she opts to, on my left hand. And I looked at her, and as I would slowly do this, she would just do very quivery, light bite, and even a little whine to let me know when she experienced pain. Mm. And at that moment, we had an agreement. She was telling me, I will let you do this. <laughs> And I may be anthropomorphizing here, but I can tell you that it was a complete agreement. We had a complete understanding that as I did this, if she experienced any discomfort, she would give me feedback. But again, not breaking the skin, but just biting and giving a little whine, a little sort of a quivery, you know, rapid bite to my hand. And that allowed me to know when she was experiencing discomfort, allowed me to go a little slower with the process. And it took about 30, 40 minutes to change this wrap, but it was so worth it. It was so worth it. She was happy. I was happy. And she got the care that she needed. And it, it was a huge day. I'd be curious to know, Scott, because it does sound like a pretty uh, powerful experience. So the next day or whenever the next day, if it was not literally the next day, but the next time you went to change the bandage, did it work the same way? It worked the same way. And I yeah. think she had less pain. Okay. There was less, less need, but it, you know, it was twice. And then uh, after that, it, it healed and, and we were good. There wasn't even a need for a... Uh, a third bandage change, but at that, I, I realized that we have, you know, not to sound like Dr. Doolittle, but wow, we have the ability to communicate with one another. We truly have the ability to communicate. You know, we forget that we're animals too. You know, we, we, we're humans and then there's animals. Well, guess what? We're all, <laughs> yeah, we're all animals. Well, and I particularly like, especially as you're telling this story, because when we're talking, we're talking about wild animals, which at the end of the day, I think wolf hybrid certainly still is. And certainly the, uh, the primates you're working with is that when you talked about not believing your own hype, I think that's pivotal because I think we all know of stories, some very high profile, some less so about people who thought they had kind of a special kinship with animals and demonstrably they did until something bad happened that one yeah. day and then they were either severely injured or killed partly because i think the off those folks from the stories i've read and heard became a bit complacent like well i i have a special understanding and vice versa so they would never harm me they won't do this and forgetting fundamentally at least in most of these cases that i'm talking about th these are wild animals and they're still going to act like wild animals on that given thursday Precisely, precisely. And, 
you know, I was labeled as the monkey whisperer because we had had an escape artist uh, named Rusty who who got out, and and I was able to. Uh, I, I have a theory that. Well, I don't have a theory. My my protocol was less is more. If we have one monkey out, let's send one monkey to get that monkey. Because when we have three keepers with nets and radios, <laughs> they're not, they are not coming back. I mean, they, they're not going to go back in their enclosure. And um, and so I was called the monkey whisperer, and it was written on the back of my hat. And so I really, I had the same experiences when I, you know, again, complacency, you start to believe your own hype. It's, it's moment to moment. If you're not in the moment and you're not respecting the fact that, that we're still, that we're all animals, <laughs> me included, but if you're not respecting the animal element of it, you are setting yourself up for a potential uh, uh, failure or even something worse, catastrophic. So, Well, it sounds like you learned a lot and had some amazing experiences. How long were you there at the Austin Zoo? It was uh, two and a half years. Okay. But the remarkable thing is I'm still there because I, if I tell you, and you know, you know enough about me, if I list everything that I'm doing, I kind of sound like a crazy person. Like, it's like, it sounds like I'm all over the place, but it's all tying together. And now we perform uh, at the zoo every year at Boo at the Zoo, 28 shows. My wife and I do a kid's show called the Scotty Rue and Christini Show. Most of the songs are relating to positive relationships with animals. And I literally got to perform the first time on the very ground that the Capuchins came in for the first time. And it was called Sun City. And it was an enclosure that needed help. You know, we, we didn't have the funding at the time at the zoo to do it. And here I was a few years later coming back and we were celebrating the opening of the new enclosure for the Capuchins. And I performed on the ground that I worked on for two and a half years where I cared for these animals, where I watched them uh, where I watched them just, you know, uh, thrive and, and, get, and get healthier, and now they had even a better enclosure. So still connected there sort of intimately to that zoo. So during, yeah, no, it sounds like that's the kind of place that you'll always have some kind of connection, regardless of how often you physically can get back over there. But yeah. during that two-and-a-half-year stint, when did you first start to have the seedling of the idea to start your own thing? Did that start brewing during the time you were at the, at the Austin Zoo? You know, I'd, I'd volunteered uh, at uh, what's now, I guess, APA, Austin Pets Alive, and uh, it was Town Lake Animal Shelter at the time. And I'd been doing a little volunteer work. I have a golden retriever that made it from New York City to Austin, Texas. And, you know, her hips were starting to go, and she was getting real wide around the face. And I told her, I was like, if you can just hang in there. I got her I got her in Sebring, Florida. I, I named her Sebring. And um, she, was in a, uh, she was in a trailer park, and uh, it was just, it was a bad scene, and, and she was just the runt, and she was covered in fleas. So, you know, we're, we have a history, a family history. If it's, if it's limpy or gimpy and it's considered the runt, we're like, we must have this. You know, it's yeah. the Charlie Brown Christmas tree of dogs. And um, and they just, it never failed us to just just find some of the best best creatures. But Sebring made it to Austin, and uh, and it just, we had a really good run. She She died as politely as she lived, she died in my arms. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I wasn't hysterical. I was certainly emotional because this is one of my best friends that, that now leaving. I felt something, Duncan. I can't explain to you what it is, but it's like a curtain. You know, it's like a curtain, like a heavy. In theater, in college, I used to, you could hear when people walk behind a curtain. You can't, you feel it more than you hear it. Mm-hmm. You just see the curtain move a little bit. You know, there's some stage hands back there. Somebody's moving back there, and my, I felt something. I felt a presence. I can't explain what it was, but when she died in my arms, 
there was something. There was definitely something. There's the, beyond this veil. There's something exceptional. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but I know it's good. And that was kindling, and I was like, "Wow, this is really, this is really, really something now. Something's really happening in my experience, my realm of experience." And then I go to a dog park one day, and I run into this amazing, skinny, just as nutty as I am, woman named Christine, who had five dogs with her. And I was like, five dogs? <laughs> who would have five dogs?" I guess we'll just let that sit there. <laughs> I didn't know if I'd lost you there. No, no. Responding to the, uh, back then, the kind of incredulity of, of uh, someone with five dogs. And then uh, <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get caught up in the story and find out that's that's uh, not, not quite so remarkable in, in that world. But uh, So let's talk more specifically then about Hardy Hayes, just to make sure we don't run out of time to do so. So I think it might be bearing the lead in some ways to begin with anything other than uh, you guys function on an eight and a half acre spread. How did you manage to score that parcel of land? Or well, did you- we we were looking in Austin and decided, okay, it's time time to buy a house. We only had, we had six dogs at the time, and all of Christine's dogs were rescue, and I had a, a new dog, Piper, who's a half Chihuahua, half Black Lab. Hmm. Uh, yes, amazing, a very uh, willing. A uh, female black lab and an ambitious chihuahua. Uh, apparently, she had laid down, and the puppies were extraordinary. And, and I, they, they, I got them through a um, young lady named Terry Rank, who was fostering, doing what we're doing now. So I met her, and I was like, "Well, what do you do?" And she said, "Well, I, I sometimes go to shelters, and if I see these cases and some that don't present well, but I know I can get them healthy, I can I, I get them healthy, and then I put up their photos and." And uh, I interview people and do a home visit and a vet check, and then if they pass, they, they this is their 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 new dog. And uh, so I thought, oh, that's cool. And not knowing what was waiting for me, and uh, we looked in Austin. We couldn't afford it. We just couldn't afford it. And I'd always been out in Bastrop area here, and this the, the hills start to roll out here. And, and I'm looking right now at these amazing loblolly pines. There, there's one over there that's. A, Gosh, it's a hundred feet tall, and um, they're 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 gorgeous. And we have oak, and we have cedar, and it's just beautiful. And as it turns out, some of the land out here was. I mean, we we got our eight and a half acres in our two story home. Uh, you know, for gosh, I wouldn't be able to do Austin wouldn't be able to touch the prices. It was just it was very doable. That's great. Yeah, and we have the eight and a half acres have what's called the the soil is sugar sand they call it sugar sand and it's it's sand it's like beach sand it's a little finer than that but it it essentially feels like beach sand or and and a lot of our rehabilitation especially we do uh what's called fho's full hip operations we don't do them but we have a phenomenal vet in austin that does we found that when they walk that it's, it's low impact and it's it's almost like aqua therapy because the the, the the rates of their healing are, are, are really, really rapid. But I, I want to let you know, too, they don't live out in those eight-and-a-half acres. They walk, supervise, and <laughs> supervise in those eight-and-a-half acres, and it's peaceful, and it's, it's wonderful. But they live in our home. Our home is a functioning shelter. We have a top floor and a bottom floor. And, of course, bottom floor is entirely tiled. And uh, our ground floor is... A functioning shelter. The humans and and, and some of the uh, 
some of them make them up to, to Christine's room because we we actually sleep. We have two separate two separate bedrooms because sometimes somehow dogs end up in her bed with her at night, and uh, which is great. But I'm a light sleeper, so I have to I have to be dog free. Well, and also you, I think you probably keep some different hours with duties at the firehouse and various other things that you're exactly. Joking. I'm what's called a paid volunteer right now, so it's an unusual position to be in. But yeah, when the toner goes off, my little pager goes off. I I get up and I go. Uh, let me let people know again. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Scott Hardy, co-founder of Hardy Hayes Refuge, a small Texas nonprofit that rescues, uh, rehabilitates, and fosters dogs that often from difficult circumstances, including medical challenges or have been subjected to cruelty. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-2399-663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So, to sort of elaborate on that description, and I made a similar one at the beginning of the show, I guess kind of by way of explaining what you and Christine do there, fill me in on some notable things that have happened there, let's say, in the last week or so. What animals either did you rescue in the last few days and or did you place in home? Just give us a little slice of just a few days' time or a few hours' time or whatever makes most sense for Hardy Hayes Refuge. Oh, yeah. I, there's... You know, it's incredible when we start when we start to review, and we need to do, like, a scrapbook. Of course, we have all the records and all the vet records, but sometimes we, as we start saying the names, we realize how many have come through, how many have... And it's incredible. I think sometimes, the, the you know, when you hear the dog pick me, people say, I didn't pick this dog, the dog picked me. It's almost like they're controlling it all. Some of these connections with people have been so fortuitous, so coincidental, so amazing. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. But the one that's sticking out this week is we were donated um, a lot of crates and um, dog bedding. And uh, this was donated from, it was actually donated from Austin Pets Alive. And they, they, they were taking a lot of these Hurricane Harvey donations, and they were making them available to shelters and 501Cs like, like we are. But we're okay the, the, the stuff they donated, we're, we, we, we were fine in crates and bedding and, and food and there's some great stuff. There's lots of cat, there was a lot of cat items too. And so we decided we would donate, we would pay it forward. So my mother-in-law and Christine, we call my mother-in-law Mugs and she's hilarious. She rents a U-Haul, big U-Haul, fills it up with these donations. And she and Christine drive to Galveston um, and the Texas City area to help uh, to help some of the shelters there because there's, they were still hurting and they were hit hard. So um, while they're at a shelter, they see this healer mix. Um, her name is Destiny, and Destiny is in bad shape. She's, she has Demodex mange. Um, when it gets to this level, when skin issues, uh, especially with working dogs like healers, when it gets to the point where they essentially have no fur, and that it's called pyroderma, where... It's, which is means skin on fire, um, and she was she she also has a leg that is fused that was broken and then fused in a straight manner. So um, she comes to our refuge. You know, Christine shows up, and I was like, "Wait, what have you done?" And she goes, "She goes, I couldn't I couldn't walk away. I, I couldn't leave her there. Um, you know, she needs she needs definitive care." And so we get her to the vet. And we get her on the treatments for uh, for various skin and infection, get her on the antibiotics. But the most remarkable thing happened. Um, we've seen skin issues, allergies, 
um, but mange in particular, and, and, and sarcoptic as well as demodex, it, as soon as you mitigate it um, medically, the most important thing is to treat it from the gut. As soon as you get, one, their stress down, two, you get that gut repaired. You, you know, Christine uses a, an array of supplements. You know, they, we, we joke about it. They, <laughs> they eat better than we do. And they think, I, I looked at the supplement recently. I was like, I should be taking this. What is this for? She goes, oh, that's for joint, uh, joint health and, and stability. And I go, what's this? She goes, oh, that's for heart health. I go, shouldn't I be taking these? So um, it's kind of funny that that, that, that that happens. But But I've never seen in two weeks' time this destiny, this, this beautiful healer mix, in two weeks' time, it's like her her fur is coming out like fresh fallen snow. It's just wow. growing. It's growing so fast, and I know that it's, it's it's the medical intervention, but it's more, especially all those skin issues. It all relates to stress, and and you get that suppressed, and you get you get to get them into a real relaxed place and and consistent care. Incredible. So when I come downstairs in the morning, I'm greeted by her. And, and, and she hops, you know, we're going to, we're going to address the leg issue because there's no pain. We're going to address that leg issue as soon as we get the skin healed. We're going to do one thing at a time. Sure. And the great thing about us, we're not concerned about fast turnovers. If they come there and they spend the rest of their lives with us, that's okay. We've got the room for them. We'll make a place for them in our home. And, and, and what's really incredible is to see Christine walking this week. I think we're down to 32. 32 wonderful, amazing canines, uh, eight of which are in our core group, eight of which will never leave, um, either because they're, 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 uh, they weasel into our hearts so much, or they're, they're, more importantly, they're a part of the team. They're a part of the, the learning that happens at our refuge. Dogs don't always speak dogs. If they grow up, and they're not stimulated, and they're not introduced into other dogs, they have a limited vocabulary. They don't even know how to, 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 to work their ears and their tails properly to communicate with other dogs. But when they come out and spend time with other dogs who are patient and proficient, and a good alpha doesn't just necessarily dominate. A good alpha also submits and shows play. And when they get out here in this environment, it's incredible what happens. And we get credit for it, but I go... It's really these eight dogs that are a part of our core that are doing a lot of that real game-changing, behavior-changing differences, and it's peaceful. It's like group therapy of a, of a kind. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and it's therapy for us, too. You know, there's been some hard days. This week in particular, oh, we, we, had a, we had a hard loss. We had a real hard loss. And no matter what we did, you know, there's just, you know, there were some, some issues that presented that were congenital with this this young puppy. And, you know, it's like, it's like with people, you know, I answer, I'm standing next to a training vehicle right now that has the doors cut off. And this is part of my world too. I show up on scenes and I'm able to use what we call the jaws of life and these spreaders to get people out and get them onto a a helicopter and get them to definitive care. And, uh, and, and most of the time it works out and, and sometimes it doesn't. And no matter what you do. And, uh, it was, it was, it was a tough week too, because we had a little, but a little one, it's the little ones. It's the innocent, the puppies, and, you know, they're like children. It just, it breaks your heart even more, but it's not going to stop us doing what we're doing because I told Christine this week, I was like, you know, our, we both took a, a sock to the gut with this loss. And I was like, let's go out and visit our friends because we're like, 
Duncan, we're like Amway, but with dogs. Like every one of our friends has one or two dogs. And we just did a tour. I go, let's just tour around. our. Let's go visit our friends that have the dogs that we were introduced to, the dogs that we met in these shelters or in these bad conditions. And, and, and just go. And we did. And we just we spent a couple of days just doing that and just sitting down with them. And it was just, boy, it charged us right back up. It, it, put, the, it put the kick in our step again. Yeah. Well, Scott, uh, we're nearing the end of our time. A couple of things here. I want to first read one of the emails that came in in the wake of when you were describing uh, changing uh, the bandage. So this email says, I've had the same experience with dogs. The first time was with a St. Bernard who'd been hit by a car. I was asked to do some deep massage to see if we could relieve the painful strictures left by the uh, impact. As I reached into his hip joint, he gently turned back and took my wrist in his jaws. We worked along with him, quote unquote, supervising my depth and speed. Our Dobie used to play by seizing my fingers in his jaws. I came to see it as an expression of trust because we were both clear he could have taken them all at one bite. So kind of very similar to what you're describing. So Actually, we, that was similar, but that was much more eloquent. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, the point is those experiences, I think, are not uncommon, especially if an animal's in pain and being tended to by someone that they know or re- at least quickly realize that they can trust. So uh, since we are just about out of time, Scott, I have mentioned once or twice that you guys are a 501c3, so therefore, of course, welcome donations. But why don't you tell us just in 30 seconds or so, if you can, just about some other ways that the Hardy Hayes Refuge is funded. It's incredible. I started a, a YouTube channel called Uncle Mullet, and the videos are designed to show that the world is a good place. Uh, out of that, I did UncleMullet.com, and I have these wooden nickels that I give to people when someone uh, when someone says, "How can I repay you?" I say, "Pay it forward," and I give them this, and it, it represents a good deed. And they register these coins, and it's lighting up. It's li- literally the world map. When I started this, was dark because we feel like the world is dark, and we see all the goodness that's happening. We can track positivity. We can track love, basically. And uh, that and my GladysHardy.com. So it's like I have all these streams of revenue that come in and keep this, our, our refuge thriving. And, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible when, we, when we're able to take on an animal and realize this is going to be $1,500 for this full hip operation, but to realize that we, A, have the money coming in, or when we fundraise, that, that people just step right up and and it gets done. We get all the credit for being amazing, but it, it takes so many other people to make this miraculous thing happen. You know, my, my training as a firefighter, we're all people giving their time to, to help train me. So it's, I mean, it's truly a village. Everything yeah. that's happening is just a village. And so let me quickly add, because we are just out of time now, but the Gladys Hardy that you made a passing reference to, if anybody has watched uh, Ellen over the years, probably very familiar with Gladys, who calls in and has these great, uh, amusing, uh, sometimes uh, flat-out hilarious conversations with Ellen. So uh, that, if that rings a bit of a bell, that's uh, that's who Gladys Hardy is. And I never know what to do with my Nana Gladys, but I can't control her. I've tried. Sure. Well, that's, that's a good problem to have. So, Scott, great speaking with you. We've been speaking with Scott Hardy. Again, it's the Hardy Hayes Refuge. The best place to find out more information or stay in touch online is through their Facebook uh, page. Just you can search for Hardy Hayes Refuge and find out more and uh, see what the, some of the animals that we've referred to and other ways that you might help or support them if you're so inclined. So, Scott, thanks so much for uh, joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you, Duncan, and thanks to you and Colleen for, for really unwittingly starting where, where I am right now. This, this, I mean, it's all a process, but you... Uh, you're, you started a ball rolling in a very good direction. All right. Well, that's good to know. That's great. So it was unwitting, but we'll take credit for it anyway. So thanks again, <laughs> Scott. All right. All right take care, man. Thanks. 
Right now, it's time to step into the comedy corner. We'll be hearing a piece from John Laney. He has a new special on Netflix called The Comeback Kid. And there's a corresponding CD. Here's a piece from it called Baby Grandma in today's comedy corner. I'm talking My wife and I don't have any children. We have a dog. We have a little puppy named Petunia. She's a tiny little French bulldog puppy. I like having a puppy that's a bulldog because it's like having a baby that is also a grandma. Her... <laughs> Her body is young, her face is as old as time. She definitely saw the Nazis march into Paris. She always gives me this look of like, oh, the things I have seen. You have no idea. The Gestapo threw my printing press into a river, but go tell your jokes. Bring me my dish. She said that. Petunia. Petunia is my best friend in the world. I give her a million kisses a day. She does not like me and barks at me and bites me all day long. <laughs> we had to get a dog trainer into the apartment because Petunia is a bad dog. We tell her that every day. We go, hey, you're bad at being a dog. <laughs> so the trainer came into the apartment. Sorry, didn't even walk into the apartment. Walked into the threshold and went, oh, okay. <laughs> like she was an exorcist or something. She said, I see what the problem is. She said, Petunia has become the alpha of the house. And then she pointed at me. She said, you are no longer the alpha of the house. And in the back of my head, I was like, I was never the alpha of the house. I turned to my wife. I was like, let's pretend it'll be fun. Yes, I oh, my title of alpha, which I once had. How could I reclaim it? Because that was a thing that existed at one time. She said, you need to show dominance over your puppy. These are things people say to me. I said, how do I do that? She said, well, let me ask you this. Who eats dinner first, you or Petunia? I was like, Petunia eats dinner first. She eats dinner at 5 p.m. because she's a foot long and two years old. She said, no, you need to eat dinner first because the king eats before anyone else eats. Oh, yes. And what a mighty king I will be eating dinner at 4.45 in the afternoon. Ah, ha, ha, ha! Look upon your sovereign, Petunia, and tremble. My lands stretch across this entire one bedroom, and I eat dinner whenever I choose, as long as it works for the schedule of a dog. She said, no, you don't actually have to eat dinner before Petunia. You just have to convince Petunia that you've already eaten. So, for the past month, before my wife and I give Petunia her dish, we take down empty bowls and spoons, and in front of her we go, mmm, dinner, mmm, good dinner. Like we're space aliens in a play about human beings that they wrote but they didn't work that hard on. Mmm, we're eating dinner. Meanwhile, Petunia's just staring at us with her Paul Giamatti face like, You're not eating dinner. Dish now. That was uh, John Mulaney with a piece called Baby Grandma, taken from his CD. The corresponds to his new special on Netflix called The Comeback Kid. I'll write on to that new animal song I referred to rather cryptically. This is new music by Robert Plant with his version of Bluebirds Over the Mountain, sharing the mic with none other than Chrissy Hines on Talking Animals. 
music from Robert Plant, an old song in the form of new music from Robert Plant, joined, of course, there by Chrissy Hines. I'm Tonka Shashar, listening to Talking Animals. The show website is TalkingAnimals.net. Time to proceed to name that animal tune. This is a giveaway, but please only participate if you haven't won something from Dub Muminef in the last 90 days. There'll be a prize, a new Talking Animals t-shirt to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's named an animal tune on Talking Animals. Take any guesses off the air. We have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals. I do want to uh, address, because I got two different emails about this, uh, people noting that in that shark dragon case, one or more of the men uh, charged are uh, related to uh, Manatee County citizens, including Bo Benak, the son of uh, chairman of the Manatee County Commission, Betsy Benak. So that's... Uh, Unfortunate, but true. We'll see uh, what the next happens on that. But at least they're charged, so uh, that's a step. Anyway, we have reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WF. Rob Laurie is up next with Radioactivity. Next week, December 20th, I'll be uh, doing the Talking Animals annual Christmas animal song special featuring holiday animal songs of various stripes. Hope you'll join me for that. Go to TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives and links to Facebook, Twitter, etc. And also subscribe to our e-newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand, etc. I'm Duncan Shaw. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Brandon. Clearwater, Largo, Weeki Wachi, and beyond. Community Conscious Radio, handpicked music and news. Thanks for listening. Figure it again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Talking Animals. NPR News headlines are coming right up. Thanks.